place to be. I'm now joined by the man who is my life story, Jake Shillingford. Hello, Jake. Hi, Paul. Very nice of you to give me some time uh, from sunny Brighton uh, to miserable Edinburgh. And we're here to talk really about the new album, World Citizen. And I think it was probably back in 2017 I sent you some questions via email. Mm. And the final thing that I asked you in that interview was, could we see some new music from My Life Story? And what you said was that you were constantly writing. So who knows? And I took that as a yes. And here we are two years later. So I guess you my were, question... My, your first person was to, you, you're the first person to ask me that. So I think you started to open the clam. You know, you were uncovering the, the secret at the very early stage. Well, well, that's interesting then. So at, at that point, were you already thinking about another album? No, I wasn't. But I was, I was, I was writing a lot. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I do a lot of, I write a lot of stuff for the media. So I write sort of telly, and um, well, then I was just doing tele- TV and some adverts. Um, last year, we got to me and Nick, the guitarist from My Life Story, we wrote our first full-length movie. Um, but then it was it was just writing sort of background music, some interesting stuff, um, but but just really writing and writing and writing. And I'd, I always knew that if I was going to work in sort of synchronization, which I suppose is the sort of global term for writing for, you know, multimedia, yeah. that, um, that it would it would it would place me in a position where I could, you know, put me in a safe place where I could start writing my own stuff again. Um, and of course there's, it gave me the confidence writing every day, you know, you just get, you know, it's like anything, you get better at it. You know, you ride a bike every day, you get better at riding a bike. So I, I, I just, it opened up the world of possibilities more. And, and of course, from a, from a, from a practical point of view, we'd build a built a, a small studio, small recording studio to 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 write for telly anyway. So it practically became more possible. And from a yeah, from a kind of mental point of view, it enabled me to feel like I was able to do it. I mean, throughout that time, certainly the reason I got in touch originally back in 2017 was I'd come along uh, the the Glasgow night of the star-shaped event. All right. And had been I mean, genuinely bowled over by how good you were that day and reminded of all these incredible songs and the, the ways in which my life story, despite being lumped in with the, the B word, were always very definitely and very defiantly something entirely separate. You know, when everybody else was kind of wearing Fred Perry's and talking about the Beatles and the Kinks. It always seemed to me like my life story were a very different beast and were drawing on different inspirations and different influences and things that weren't quite so obvious. Seeing you that day really kind of brought a lot of that back. So I guess there's two questions there. One is, am I right? Were you drawing on different influences and what were those influences? And how much of those influences informed world citizen well yes you are right um i mean when i mean those those who were there or who have read um the books about Britpop will know that you know it really started in camden and it the people that were around and i lived in i lived in a place called belsize park which was two tube stops up from camden town and um i'm working in the clubs and um you know the, the the people that were around at that time. So I don't just mean the bands. I just I mean I mean just interesting creative people. They were all pretty. Um, you know they weren't really Fred Perry wearing. Um, you know oiks. You know they were just like any other scene. You know most scenes are creative when they start. You know and then they get they get sort of you know. They, they 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 become more commercial and I suppose you know the mod I mean there was the idea of the mod thing really was just people just started like myself started to react against um, the the grunge era um, and actually 
not only the grunge era, but also the sort of the sort of bands that were appearing on top of the pops, um, which were um, from the sort of acid house scene. So you know, fashion wasn't exactly at its greatest around that time, um, and there didn't appear to be any sort of fashion leaders. So I think you know a lot of us would just well, not say a lot, but a, a few of us would. I mean, certainly I was I was you know very keen to 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 try and bring back the 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 sort of pop star but my definition of pop star i think is a bit more in the i mean i loved all the music i kind of like the musical type of people and i, I was a big fan of people like tony newley and I mean, even sort of david essex to a point um tommy Steele. well the boys in my band just come up to me and said they don't want to sit around and watch all this work going on without them getting up and getting in the game so what can i say i've got to do it and so i've written the number especially for the occasion with some strange coincidence, it's called Teenage Party. <laughs> Besides, that's what it is, isn't it? Let's go, boys. Gonna have a teenage party. We're gonna have a teenage time. We're gonna make it high and hearty. TV ready, that's fine. Those kind of people. I like the sort of... All the people that basically David Bowie was into, so... You know, I kind of I, I looked at David Bowie and went, well, who did he like? Because they've got to be the, you know, that's where it began. Um, so yeah, so all of those people, and I got to meet people like Tony Newley and hang out with him. So I was, I was in my own bubble really. I was, you know, I was listening to Jimmy Webb and um, and great songwriters. And you know, for me, you know, I just wanted to bring back really well crafted songs um, with a with a bit of a smile and. And I think that that comes from that sort of era, sort of early 60s era. So, you know, that's that was the seed of it, really. Now, whether whether or not that still is there now in, um, in my mid 50s, I have absolutely no idea. Only you can tell me that. I mean, obviously, I've, I've listened to the album uh, now and it seems to me that the spirit of some of those things still resides at the heart of my life story. But it is curiously a very modern sounding album. It doesn't sound like either Mornington Crescent or The Golden Mile. It doesn't sound like a nostalgic record, certainly not a nostalgic record for the 90s. You know, it's not a revivalist album. It sounds like, I mean, I heard little bits of people like the Human League in there. I heard little echoes of Ennio Morricone, you know, and various other bits and pieces. So to me, it seems like a, a very different beast to the My Life story that we had. And yet, still sounds like my life story that's good that's exactly what i wanted to do so it might be the first time i've ever actually got something right yeah i mean that was i think i think the thing is when you get to when you're older you 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 sort of realize that you are who you are so you know i, I deliberately well i didn't deliberately do anything I, I, I deliberately didn't try too hard to be my life story and i I didn't I didn't try too hard to be contemporary, although we used, you know, very well, use a lot of modern equipment. Um, we had a great um, mix engineer, Steve Evans, who's Nick Evans's brother, who's worked with bands like Goldfrap, for example. So, you know, we we wanted, you know, we, we weren't going to go back and use, say, like an old producer from the time or, you know, things like that. But there were there were there were a lot of people that were involved um you know, there were there were people that we involved from that time that I still stayed friends with, but I just think, I mean, I, I don't think there's any point in in creating anything um, unless it it feels like it's you know relevant for the time. Um, I, I guess I guess the, the the I think there's a really interesting phenomenon um, which I, I think other bands from other eras possibly haven't faced in the past, which is the the sort of heritage circuit i'm sure there's a lot of bands that don't like me to use that word but i'll use it anyway um but you know there's a lot of bands that go out on you mentioned star shaped and other who are excellent by the way and really lovely people and um and but, but a lot of people go out on these events um uh but they're also making or some of us are making you know trying to make contemporary music as well and i think that it's quite it's almost like being an actor really you're you're playing your possibly playing yourself in the past um and then you're looking at you know 
at the at the present and the future with your new material and in a way that's one of the reasons why we didn't do any of the um the the, the sort of heritage tours this year because we wanted to focus on the new record and and the, and our, ostensibly our tour in november december and moving into the new year is just small venues and just keeping it very much about the new material but then we'll sort of get back on the you know the old horse of nostalgia and and ride off into the sunset with everybody else at another time and i think that that's some i think that's actually quite a difficult thing to balance um and i think that you've got to recognize that the past has brought you the future as an artist and you can't sort of shy away from that i remember having a really interesting discussion with mark Armand because i'm a big soft cell fan and and i i was actually at the very last the the well i've been at the the, the, the last two the concerts, <laughs> the, the very the proper last one which was the Hammersmith Palais in 1984 I think it was um, and that you know and they they didn't even play Tainted Love you know they wouldn't play Tainted Love on their tour because they you know they wanted they wanted to move on um, but of course you know that was the the beast that made you so it, it's often a struggle I think as an artist but I think that I mean it suits me really fine I I, I I, you know, it's lovely to hear people like yourself that that were engaged with the band so long ago, um, able to sort of see the music for what it is now, but also an, a nod to the past. And I mean, I get a lot of people nowadays come up that um, you know never even heard of My Life Street back in the day, and and uh, you know just sort of discovering us for the first time. So, I, and I think that's good as well because we can be fresh and exciting. So I think you've got to sort of mix. I'm a hopefully we've got a health, healthy balance of the past, present, present and future. Well, I think there's there's no problem with you know looking at the past, and there's no problem with you know loving the past and having that kind of rose tinted <laughs> view of it. But I think that the difficulty comes when people become trapped by it. You mm. know, these these guys who are the same age as you and I who you know, still trying to pull off the Paul Weller haircut mm-hmm. or, you know, are, are, are still wearing a bucket hat or whatever. You know, I, I think there has to come a point where you're able to move away from the past. It becomes a foundational block for you, but there should be constant progress, right? You should constantly be looking to move on, to do new things, to experiment, to, to learn, to develop. And I think there was definitely a feeling of that in the new album for me as well, that yet this is my life story but we're not prisoners to the 90s in fact i think i use a line like that in my review i talk about you know this is not a record that's tied to the 90s it's funny i mean even though i mean it's quite a funny thing happened to me once i was i was doing a solo concert and somebody introduced me as jake shillingford from the 90s which makes really made me <laughs> on stage. I, I, I did say that i was available in other decades uh, but but you know i mean i the, the 90s for me was you know i don't it's funny, really, because I think a lot of people think that you sort of represent that decade. I don't, I don't, I don't have a, yeah, it's funny. I don't really, I mean, what you mentioned earlier about, you know, we were sort of able to sort of, yes, we were a, you know, if people say that My Life's Real Britpop band, I don't mind. I, I have absolutely no problem with people saying that because it put, you know, it puts us with a bunch of other groups, um, some excellent bands and, and, you know, some really good songwriters and I'm happy to take that, but I'm also, you know, the 90s for me, I didn't really feel like I was, you know, I don't I don't think I represent the 90s. I don't I don't really feel part of that decade. If anything, I feel, you know, I feel more part of the 80s, really, because that was my formative years. And, you know, the music that really inspired me. Um, it's funny when people, you know, because we all get together sometimes, you know, me and me and you know, singers of other bands of, of that era. And it's really interesting because it, it's sort of I think a lot of people think that we all yeah sort of like these sort of flag bearers of that decade but i mean most of us i mean we were i suppose that we you know a lot of us were working so hard focusing on our own stuff i was you know i was just busy trying to write the next song and you know trying to trying to you know um release the next record and try and make the best record i possibly could and put on really good shows i wasn't really too too aware of what was going around no, and I think that you're right to talk about the the influence of the 80s as well. I mean, certainly, you know, if you look at somebody like Martin Rossiter or Louise, you know, when a, they're both people who have a great love for the music of the 80s, and particularly a lot of those kind of electro pop records of the 80s, as as do you. And it was interesting for me on the last Sleeper album, you definitely felt a little bit of that influence coming to the fore a little bit. You know, I could hear little bits of Giorgio Moroder and some of the synths and what have you. So yeah, I think the 80s is 
key component in the 90s. And I think a lot of people want to skip that and remove it because it's not looked upon particularly favourably the 80s for all sorts of reasons. It's seen as being a bit naff. And if he just focuses in on, you know, I don't know, David Bowie or the Kinks or Madness or whatever, you know, and it's a bit... It's a bit dishonest, isn't it? Because the 80s was the decade that shaped most of those artists, including you. Absolutely. You know, and, and you know, the, the also I think it's I, I think that the, the the there was a lot of amazing pop stars in the 80s, you know, bona fide pop stars. And I think that Britpop, those little sort of three or four years gave birth to so many outspoken, um, you know, People, and, and front men and front women that you know that's I think that's where you can draw the comparison and I think in between you know once we get to the sort of late 80s and then into the early 90s you know there wasn't there were obviously great pop stars still out there but there there wasn't well there wasn't that sort of you know amazing sort of collection of them you know so I think um I think that's probably where a lot of it comes from. A lot of us were brought up, and, and actually, I mean, I was brought up on a lot of, you know, I was brought up on a lot of glam and 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 stuff like that. And there was some great pop stars that came out of that era. So, um, you know, it was just for me, Britpop was was yeah, it was it was the reintroduction of the of the of the British pop star, uh, people that genuinely wanted to be stars. You know, I mean, that's a, you know, it's, it's a funny. I don't think too many people. I mean, I put my hand up at assembly when somebody asked, you know, what I was going to. I left school at 16. And then when you were 16, you had to say what you were going to go on and do for a living. And I said I was going to be a pop star. Um, I genuinely did. I mean, I kind of did it for a joke. I did get a good laugh. But, um, uh, you know, it, it's funny that sort of. Yeah, I don't know whether too many people aspire to that anymore. Um, um, so, yeah, I think that's 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 what we can thank the sort of Britpop movement for. Yeah, I think I would I would tend to agree. Well, look, that's that's enough about the past. Let's mm. let's talk a little bit about uh, the present, wh- whatever the present might be. Um, there's a thing on the the My Life Story site, Jake, which I thought was really interesting, and it's the new album update. Mm. And it sort of says, okay, we've got a new album coming out, first album for 19 years. It's going to come out on the 6th of September, and then it says featuring. And traditionally at that point, it would say um, a duet with Tom Jones and uh, lyrics by Robbie Williams, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. But World Citizen uh, features, and I just I would like to go through these one by one. Okay, do you want me to comment on each one? I I think so, yeah. So the first thing is this, um, and it's a really important thing for me, actually, for for a couple of reasons. And that is that it is a... A, a real orchestra on the album. It's real strings. So you've got this 40-piece orchestra, but skyping it in from Budapest. <laughs> yeah. That seems that seems like the perfect encapsulation of the conversation we've just had, the present and the past. So we've got the live strings that you would expect George Martin to be bringing in Abbey Road, uh, but at the same time it's being done via the internet. So how and why? So... Um... Well, I'll, why is a quite a simple answer. That's that's money. <laughs> um, um, I mean, a lot of when I when I've worked when I've worked on um, TV stuff, um, we have been very lucky enough to use um, real strings on on certain tracks that we've done in the past. So we've built up some connections um, with orchestras and people that fix orchestras, um, not the orchestras themselves. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is it is quite amazing. I mean, most so most. Um, I'll just give you a sort of bit of a practical breakdown of how it works. So most uh, most orchestras in Europe now, sort of mainly the sort of east, the old Eastern Bloc countries, tend to be used. Um, you know, and a lot of famous composers come from uh, places like Hungary, and and we we were. Um, we we were fortunate enough to get some downtime, and we got given an hour's free time at the end of a of a session that an orchestra was being used to record some stuff for a, a couple of television programs. Uh, it was a forty piece orchestra, and it it has to be the the greatest blag of my entire life. I mean, I've uh, I am from Essex, so you know I have I have managed to sort of get away with a few few things, but this was. Um, quite amazing really and we um so we got the we got the, the time slot and um i was unable to get out there otherwise i would have flown out there to, to see it but um the way it works is the conductor has um 
a pair of headphones on and a monitor um and and obviously he has we we, we had to score we had to arrange and then score out the strings in, in advance obviously and we uh we um commissioned a, a fantastic um a ranger called sam peg so what sam did is he took all our our score basically our parts and wrote them into into score form into annotated the the music um and put all the the, the sort of uh, the the fancy italian words and and made it <laughs> readable um and then um and then so he's on i think he was in london online um and then the conductor was uh in obviously in budapest and we were in Brighton. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that was on the call. And there's a piece of software basically that links everybody to, together. It's and it's 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 designed to hook everyone up on um for a, for a, for a uh, orchestral session. Um, and you're able to communicate with each other um, and feed information to the conductor, who then makes any slight adjustments to the score, communicates that to the string player. So it's it's a really exciting. I mean, it's exciting enough. I mean, it really is the most amazing feeling hearing hearing a whole orchestra play your music there's there's nothing that will ever beat it and it was the one thing that i used to love in the 90s obviously when we had our own mini orchestra it's just getting everybody together and and realizing that music through orchestration it, it is it's, the sound is just overwhelming um and it was yeah so it's quite weird hearing it in a in a coffee shop you know with the tear <laughs> running down my eye yeah. i think you're right about that the, the impact of it being real strings there's great footage of my life story um on the white room doing 12 reasons from back in the day And everybody's there you know there's a violin and there's a cello and there's a brass section and there's people feeding each other grapes but that you know <laughs> presence of of live strings and stuff it really adds a a depth and a warmth to music that isn't there when it's you know synthesized you know when it's when it's not real for want of a better expression so i was really pleased to see that the album featured uh, a live orchestra um then the second thing that is featured on World Citizen is lyrics written on Facebook mm. with the help of fans. What would you like to say about that, Jake Schillingford? Uh, well, for copyright reasons, I have to be careful. No, I just, <laughs> I, 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 I was just stuck on a couple of, um, I was stuck on a couple of, uh, I was trying, uh, what was I doing? Uh, the, yeah, the, 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 the title track of the album, World Citizen, um, I found myself done a cul-de-sac and had to get it. I needed a rhyme for, um, oh, I can't remember. I don't know what it was, Phnom Penh or something like that, or um, I don't know. Uh, oh, what was it? Uluru. Yeah, so it, it got a bit tricky, like strange, strange, um, strange corners of the earth. So, uh, so yeah, I I just asked people if they uh, if they could think of any rhymes. Well, I was very specific about it. I said that you know they need to be a certain number of syllables, um, and they need to have you know it needs to have a certain sound at the end of the the rhyme. And um, yeah, so I got I got yeah a lot of people actually. A couple of people said the same lyric as well, which was really interesting. So uh, that's got me thinking whether I should make an album uh, with the fans suggesting what the you know like um. 
you know, like the books where you, you know, you turn to, you know, if you think. Yes. The, yeah. Uh, Those you know. fantasy books from the 80s, you know, if, if you should fight the troll, turn to page 147. Yeah, I think yeah. I, might, I might write a whole album with the fans and see where they take me lyrically. <laughs> <laughs> OK, um, right. And then you've already touched on this slightly um, about the fact that some of the equipment that you, you'd put into the studio was stuff that was used on early recordings by another band that I really adore. And that is Goldfrap, who, of course, are another band who are very much not tied to the 90s, but, but tied to the 80s, I guess, in, in so very many ways. Um but you've described it as mad production techniques on that equipment. What was so mad about these production techniques? So Steve, um, who mixed the album, uh, was working on a, a Goldfrap project, and they, um, I think they gave him some of, some of their equipment. So he was able to use... I mean, I think that, you know, they're, a, they're, you know, they're an amazing um, collective, really, and I think that, that you know, they... they they branch out across the whole of that sort of um, west, sort of the west of England area. There's a lot of people involved um, around sort of Bath and Bristol, and and there's there's a lot of yeah interesting analog equipment that's that's been developed to help them make their sound. They're, they're really into sound design, and that, that in a way that's one of the things that um, you know we wanted to do as well. I think mainly coming from our from our filmic background as well. You know we. A lot of the stuff we found, Nick and I found ourselves doing is is composing sound design as opposed to songs, and that's a, that's a whole interesting world. Um, so yeah, I mean it was it just yeah it was just great that he was able to use some. I think they're mainly if you if you um, for those purists out there that want to know exactly what it is, I think it was mainly like filters and things like that. Yeah, special filters that you can play the music through. Um, uh, we use a lot of filtering. It sort of makes Filtering makes music wobble, um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of wobbly music on the album. <laughs> well, that's good because it makes you wobble emotionally as well. The album, so that's quite nice. Yeah. Um, the next thing is is that there is a famous new romantic uh, who appears on the album. W- would you like to reveal who the new romantic is? Yeah, so that's Steve Norman from Spandau Ballet, um, and uh, there was Steve's. Um, Steve's become a good friend over the last few years and uh, lives locally and, and, you know, we meet up every now and again. And um, he uh, he just offered, he, he, I think he heard a track and he just said, I need to be on this album. It's very sweet of him. And and so I just I just had it all in the back of my mind and maybe I should like write a little part or find a little place for him to play. And um, we've got a track called Telescope Moonlight Boy, which is um, it's about... Um, uh, it's about uh, it's about youth really. It's about uh, how the inexperience of youth actually and intuition can actually be the truth as opposed to um, adult behaviour. Mm. And um, so, you know, in other words, in this song, the moral of the story is that the kids, the kid that is the telescope moonlight boy who observes. Um, everybody around him, his his gut instincts on people's behaviour is spot on, whereas they're all living a kind of lie. Um, and it's kind of like a, a, a sort of fable for, for what's going on politically around us. So the idea is is that the you know that the the future is in 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 the eyes of of, of young people that really know the truth. And I just um, I just needed a sound. I think that that. I mean, I wouldn't have just, I wouldn't have put Steve on the album because he's a friend. I would never do that. But then, then there was this moment where I, I really loved the idea of, uh, particularly a soprano sax, which is the, the much higher of, of of that, the higher range of that instrument. Something that just evoked the sort of the the moonlight and 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 somebody sort of sw- the swirling of a telescope moving around and. And seeing images, um, blown up images, um, moving really fast. And I, as soon as I, yeah, as soon as I kind of had that in my head, um, I thought of Steve. And so he bookends the song. There's a there's a little soprano sax solo at the beginning and the end of Telescope Moonlight Boy.
Oh, that's lovely. That's really lovely. Uh, I'm going to skip the next one because I want to come back to that as the last one. And then vocals recorded using Freddie Mercury's old microphone. Now, we were talking about proper pop stars earlier. There we go. Yeah. So, yeah, that's um, so I've got a microphone um, called a, a, a Neumann U87. And it was uh, I believe it's that it, I mean, it's a very old microphone, but it was it was it would have been used by people like Frank Sinatra um, it was the it was the sort of vocal mic of the of the stars, and then uh, moving into the seventies, I still believe it was used widely. Um, and there was an old residential recording studio called Ridge Farm um, that, sadly, like many residential studios, uh, closed down. This was a number of years ago, and they were selling off all their their equipment. And a lot of these residential places are now. Um, kind of, you know, uh, man- manor houses, sort of guest houses, and, you know, people can visit them and, and they'll, they'll you know, you can stay in a room that, you know, was once Studio One, you know, or Studio Two or whatever. Um, it is quite sad, but, uh, you know, I was, I was yeah, anyway, I heard I heard on the grapevine that they were selling their equipment and um, I needed a microphone and that that is, that's the Rolls-Royce of microphones. So uh, I was able to, to buy it from Ridge Farm, but they were very kind enough to give me a sort of certificate of authenticity and a and a brochure from the um, from the studio. And uh, it, uh, yeah, it was basically, uh, yeah, Freddie used it to sing quite a lot of songs on. That was the main vocal mic. So it's not just Freddie. There's a lot of, sort of big stars that would have used it uh to, to to sing on and it's in my studio now so i'm so if anyone ever comes and sings on the microphone i i always give them try and give them a bit of a confidence boost to tell them that freddie sung in that microphone so. <laughs> what a wonderful wonderful thing um and then another technical point i guess the drums and bass all recorded in in one take That's- yeah um yeah well we just got an amazing rhythm section i mean they they came in and uh you know jack and chris um you know they're 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 just we recorded yeah I'm very unusual way I guess these days of recording but we we recorded them live so that's why I think I, that, that I'm really pleased we did that you know the rhythm section is is the, a real live element um you know and and um and so we you know any electronic elements we had to we had to play to them so everything not everything is sort of metronomically tight um, it's 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 a human sort of tightness, and they 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 they're they're amazing. Well, what's great about those two is, is that they they play in a lot of bands. I mean, they you know they're professional musicians, they they're session musicians, but they play together, so they go out as a unit. And I I, I genuinely believe that there is a you know there's a unique connection between um, particularly bass players and drummers. There's a unique connection when they when they go out as a package as a team. You know, there's a sort of there's a sort of, um, you know, a kind of sixth sense that, that they develop when they play together. So it was uh, it was really enjoyable hearing them laying down the foundations to the album to come. And it's probably one of my favourite parts of the process. And then the only record that, that you know of, certainly, that has yeah. a stylophone on it, apart from Space Oddity. Now, yeah. is two things then, Jake. Is, is that true? And two... If somebody else can come up with another uh, record with stylophone on it, uh, what, what sort of prize will you offer on Twitter? <laughs> uh, we'll send them. A, we'll send them a copy of the CD if they. Uh, what, <laughs> what I. Th- I mean, it is true, but it's only true because that's as much as I know. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I always love that really weird stylophone bit in Space Oddity where it just comes in under the saxophone halfway through the song. Um, and we used it in a similar way, actually. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Apart from you know, obviously not novelty records or you know, or an, yeah. inst- or an instructional piece of music to show how it works. A sort of properly commercially released serious record. It'd be interesting to hear if any, yeah, um, any of your readers um, know uh, know of any others or perhaps could compile a, a Spotify playlist for us with some phone on it. If they're not going to do it, I'll, I'll do it anyway. <laughs> we could all look forward to that. Right, then the, the thing that I missed out from the list of things that are featured on this incredible new album, World Citizen, is the fact that it's 10 proper songs about love, loss, and we've already touched on this, uh, telescopes. So 
I wanted to say that I would agree with that, that these are proper songs. And they, they do deal with love and loss, as well as a whole range of other uh, themes that are going on. I want to pick up, maybe if it's all right with you, on, on three or four of those songs, Jake, and just give you my thoughts and maybe see, uh-huh. if, see what you think. Taking on the World mm-hmm. is one of the things I've written in my review is that it might be the only song I ever want to hear again. just such a rush it's it's so it's so joyous it, it sounds like I, I think the the way i described it was that it sounds like the kind of song that would close out a john hughes movie maybe the best movie that john hughes never made would be closed out with taking on the world you know some beautiful but slightly peculiar american teenagers heading off to do exactly that after overcoming trial and adversity. It's just such a great, great record. Could you maybe say something about Taking on the World? Of course, yeah. I mean, I think that, yeah, I mean, that was the idea, to do something really euphoric. But, uh, I mean, I had it, there is a slightly dystopian undercurrent to it, which I hope you might have picked out a bit, which is that the... So the idea is that the when you... So the idea is when you first hear the song, you think, oh, yeah, OK, that's a euphoric song about, you know, um, triumph over adversity. Um, but actually, it was it's slightly more sinister than that. I mean, I just started to lyrically, I was I was playing with the idea of, of, of if it was possible to write a song that people would initially think meant one thing, but actually meant something else. So yeah. an example of that would be, um, well, Supergrass. Uh, can you hear us humping on your stereo? Yeah. Where they sing that lyric instead of pumping on your stereo. And actually before that, I mean, a, a big, big influence on me and a, a great hero for me, Julian Cope. He he had the song, um, the, the, great, the Greatness and Perfection of Love, where in fact he actually sings, The Greatest Imperfection is Love. Um, and I always loved those ideas of, of a song that initially think you think means one thing, but means another. What it actually is about is it's, it's actually a, 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 um, a, it's kind of about an, it's about the sort of impending sort of ecological disaster. So it's about man versus it's man versus the planet. And it's a fight to the death. And it's sort of set out in a sort of TV reality sort of um perspective so the golden ticker tape is like the sort of the the winner which eventually is man he defeats the earth and wins um and uh you know uh, you know as as the sort of embers die at the end the end of the earth that the sort of the ticker tape sort of of the it's all televised you see the end of the earth and the ticker tape sort of comes (laughs) down on onto on man's head so yeah, it's uh, kind of like a fable, really, like a sort of modern Aesop's fable. Uh, so it was like the idea was to sort of, um, yeah, taking on the world as in we're, you know, we're, we're taking, yeah, we're not taking good care of it. Um, and I know that that that's, you know, that a lot of it's funny. I mean, obviously that, that you know, with Extinction Rebellion, that's you know right at the top of the agenda. But there's, you know, the, you know, it's our job as songwriters to to highlight that, you know, and I, I don't I don't make any apologies for addressing something that's quite an obvious um, subject. But I just thought I'd approach it in a slightly different way. I think what I'm kind of hoping is that a really big, nasty brand like GlaxoSmithKline or BP or someone like that <laughs> will use taking on the world as their advert. And obviously I work in that world. So it'd be wonderful if we if they thought, oh, yeah, you know, taking on the world, this would be really great. But in fact, they, they then use the music and it's a it's sort of it's subverting their brand. Well, that is very meta. there's something lovely about that though as well right about a song that is so euphoric in so many ways there are woe woes and there are woos and there are yes and there's golden ticker tape 
and people are going to be dancing furiously to that when you go on on the road. But then exactly what you're saying, when you when you delve a little bit deeper, there's yeah. something else going on. And I think truly great pop music is one of the few art forms that can do that duality of purpose really well. Yeah, but you know that feeling when you you know that feeling when you've sort of really tried so hard, I don't know, to achieve something in your life, and it could be quite a small thing, and then you're just you're completely beaten, and you sort of think, you know what? You just go you go from a it's almost like a you go from caring so much about trying to to achieve something to then just not caring whatsoever, and then you almost sort of go through this weird phase of celebrating the fact that you know that something's a bit shit or you can't get a job or you I don't know whatever you know the, you're so downtrodden there is there is historical evidence of, of the downtrodden almost celebrating that you know uh, the proletariat rejoicing you know in, in and just not caring anymore you know there's a point that things come to and I think that I'd like to think there's a little bit of the, you know, the, the euphoria aspect of that song I think is is a nod towards that what about uh, the title track uh, world citizen line in it that for me is kind of central and that is and in fact it, it, it brought to mind a, a quote from something else so you've written I'm not afraid of the dark just scared of what I see mm. and that really put me in mind of uh, Sheila Delaney's A Taste of Honey there's a moment in A Taste of Honey where, where Joe and Helen are in their dingy bed set and Helen asks Joe to put a, a handkerchief around a bare light bulb you know she can't can't bear this kind of bare light bulb and they're talking about, you know, turning the light off. And Joe says, I'm not afraid of the darkness outside. It's the darkness inside houses I don't like. Right. And it seemed to me that there was a, a similar purpose there. That, you know, it's not the darkness really that we need to be afraid of. You know, there's always going to be darkness. It's about what's in the darkness that we really need to be worried about. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of, you know, there are... The, the album, what I like about... The the one bit I liked about the process of making this record was we, we we wrote it really quickly. I mean the lyrics were all written within within the space. The lyrics were all pretty much written uh, in April, May, and June of of this year. So you know I mean I've never made a record like that before. They've been written over you know uh, sort of two or three years. You know and 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 what what's what I like about that is that. You know, there is a, there are a lot of themes I think that run throughout all of the songs, um, and one of them is that is that sort of yeah, you know the I mean we the, the sort of a lot of the album is about truth and 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 what the definition of truth is, um, and I think that we're now I mean I, you know the one thing that we all have in common I think as citizens right now is that none of us really know what the truth is i mean you know i i just don't know anymore and i think that what when you get to that situation historically when there's been so much propaganda around is that you start to look for truth i mean we're always looking for truth um and you start to look for it in you know back at home you look at it in simple things that are around you um and i think that you know, an aspect of the title track it has that in it, which is, you know, um, I don't know. So the, I, I, I found myself going towards the, sim the simple things in life, you know, um, and just and appreciating, you know, what love really means and what kindness really means and what nature is and things like that. And they're such they're so palpably clear and obvious in front of us all the time, but we don't pay them enough attention and I think that when things are a bit scrambled politically 
around you i think it i think well for me personally it's pulled my focus towards you know the simple things in life and being a world citizen is not a new concept whatsoever it's in you know i did a, a quite a bit of research before i wrote the song on, on what a world citizen is and and you know i i mean i don't want to talk too much about it because i think the idea of a world citizen is is actually a very very broad thing and uh, and uh and i think that people can make of it what they want um but it, it it's important i think that we all think of ourselves as citizens of the world as opposed to specific you know uh tribes or whatever and i think once you start thinking like that then i think that you know your your world and your mind will open up well the, the final thing that i wrote when i was writing about that particular track was that the, the ties that bind us are more important than the lines that divide us and that seemed to be a really clear message from certainly that track on the album that actually we, we've got more in common with one another than we do the things that make us different and maybe it's time to to refocus because the focus has been on the things that we don't have in common maybe it's time to try and find a bit of common ground again maybe maybe you and i should stage a coup <laughs> No, if we were real world citizens, we'd get the whole world to stage a coup. Ah, oh, well, this is true. This is true. Well, that's well, okay. Yeah, in that case, you'll need to, you'll need you'll need to sort things out. Um, and then another track that I, I really really enjoyed was uh, the sun, the rose. which has this line, my love is like the rose, the more you cut it, the more it grows. My love is like the sun, you turn your head, but it still shines on, it leads the way. And for me, that was really evocative. It was so beautiful and so romantic. And it, I think obviously calls to mind Robert Burns, you know, my love is like a red, red rose. Yeah. But it, it also has something of Pablo Neruda in it you know another great kind of romantic poet although maybe a bit sexier than, than Robert Burns was and I just I, there was something about that song that I found you know really um, not just I, I, what I said was that it had more romance and more romanticism really than any one song should possess it, 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 it was almost overpowering about how beautiful and romantic it was what could you say about that song? Oh, that's that's really lovely of you to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, that was the idea. I, um, it, I, I think that the the first thing when you're trying to write something, I mean, I, I wanted to write. There's a number of songs. I, I sort of throw no filter in, which is an, another song mm -hmm. off the album into the same bracket. Which is, I wanted to write something that was. I wanted to write songs on the album that were incredibly intimate, um, and and sometimes. That's well. When you're when you're trying to do that, obviously there's there are lots of things that get in the way of that. First of all, you know your own, um, I suppose your own barriers into revealing things about yourself. Um, but I I didn't want to write something that was about me. I wanted to write something that that people could relate to. Um, and I think that when I came up with those lyrics, the the idea was you know it's about yeah again it's it's you know love love is love is a you know being in love is sometimes not easy it's not an easy ride you know and um and um you know sometimes there's a, there's adversity in it there's drama um so i wanted to create a kind of landscape for that song that was um yeah kind of like a, a really big open vista and and I, and I hope that the, the you know that i mean that's the one thing about songwriting which i love because you know you could easily that could easily be a piece of prose um that song um but it's 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 the, how the lyrics relate to the music and the music was deliberately really open like this huge 
um, you know, like a, I mean, I mentioned sand flats and I mentioned a lot of nature and, and you know, the, I'm trying to get this, the, the, the enormity of the song across, um, you know, and, and um, you know, Nick Evans, my writing partner and guitarist from My Life Story, you know, we worked really, really well, I think, both of us on that track to try and trying to evoke the sort of size and when you when you're trying to create something really big actually it's the small things that make it big that sounds like a strange thing to say but it, it you know it's a very very um it's a very open um and understated record and i hope that by it being understated it draws people in yeah well i think it, i think it it's successful in that regard jake you know i've i've been lucky enough to, to listen to the album over the last couple of weeks and I guess there's a couple of things have come out of that for me one is that it's an album I've returned to you know I didn't sort of sit down listen to it take some notes and then think well I'll be speaking to Jake in a couple of weeks time we'll, we'll come back to that then you know I found myself listening to it more and more and I, I think the really interesting thing for me has been how much has revealed itself exactly some of those things you're talking about you know that the expansiveness of some things the intimacy of other things have mm-hmm. slowly revealed them, themselves and it's it's a, it's a great thing when a, an album bears repeat listening or when an album has such an impact on you that you want to repeat listen so it it's been 19 years in the making but i think the way it has been worth the while thanks yeah <laughs> yeah that's a, it does seem like an incredibly long time, doesn't it? It does seem like a long time. But, but you know, the, 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 the galling thing about that amount of time, I have to say, at the risk of, you know, ending things on a, a bad note, is that I can see you right now. For people who are listening to the, the, the podcast when it goes out, I can see Jake because he has a camera on his, his laptop. I don't have a camera on my ancient machine. And Jake has a full head of hair. <laughs> and looks like he weighs maybe 10 and a half, 11 stone. He, he's in great condition. His skin looks fabulous. I'm sitting here, uh, not weighing 11 stone, uh, with very little hair left. I just, I just don't think it's fair, to be honest with you, Jake. I don't <laughs> think it's fair that the, the, that time has been so kind to you and yet so cruel to me. I mean, maybe, maybe it's the fact that I didn't, I, I didn't write an album for 19 years. It's preserved <laughs> kind of aspect. Well, I wonder if the reverse could be true. I wonder if I wrote an album. <laughs> Maybe. If I may find that male pattern baldness and middle age spread deserts me. Well, maybe I'll give it a go. Maybe I'll give it a go. I think, yeah. I think that you'll find that if you buy World Citizen by My Life Story, <laughs> it will reverse the ageing process. Please tweet that. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, listen, th- thanks so much for giving me some, some time, Jake. I've really appreciated it and I've really enjoyed it. That's okay. You're more than welcome. It's lovely, and I, you know, I'm, I'm so pleased that it's it's lovely to speak to someone who actually gets the record. That's the that's so great. It's lovely to you know that you it, it means that I don't have to explain it. I, I don't really like explaining things too much. I like I love I love people that listen to music to be able to make up their own mind and interpret the music f- for themselves. But it sounds like the way you've done that is is quite similar to what my initial vision was. So that's that's you know job well done, and and thank you so much for listening to it.